He hit him in the cleft of the rock, and as he passed by, he saw just a little bit of his glory. They came down. Remember, he was glowing for 40 days. Um, we find Ezekiel having an encounter with God. It's, the verbiage is borderline comical because he can't, he, can't he can't grab a hold of words to describe what he's seeing. So he's, it's like this. It was the likeness of it. was like, and he just goes on and on. It's very obvious. He just didn't quite have vocabulary to describe what he was seeing, you know? Um, in John chapter number 1, as he sees the risen Christ, he falls down. He says like, or this is in the book of Revelation, John says he fell down like he was dead. Overwhelmed. This is where we find Isaiah. Let's look at this together. Isaiah chapter 6, we'll read down through just verse 5, the end of verse 5. As we go, we'll go a little further, but let's just stop there with our reading this morning. It says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called unto another and said, Holy Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of his glory, and the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Listen to this response. Then said I, woe is me, for I am lost, or I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And here's why he came to this conclusion. He says, For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Can we pray and ask God to help us? Would you pray and help God, or ask God to help you rather to see Him this morning? Father, we come to you, Lord overwhelming passage of scripture that in many ways I feel, Lord, you know my, you know my heart, you know I, I feel as though I can't even start to do justice to this passage. Um, but Lord, I pray that you will work in our hearts, Lord, you will help us. And God, I pray that you will help us to see the King. And Lord, may we not walk away the same. Lord, perhaps there's some in this room who've never turned to Christ. They've never been saved. Lord, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. Lord, I pray that others who have truly been saved, and Lord, many in this room, Lord, I pray that you will um, impress upon us afresh and anew that, Lord, in light of what you have done, Lord, we owe you our lives. May we live for you. May we serve you with all of our strength for all of our days because you are worthy. Oh, Lord, would you help us today? Meet with us. Take your word and plant it deep in us as we all just prayed together as we sang. In Christ's name we pray this. Amen. So have you ever found yourself in a situation that was just a little too big? It was overwhelming. You, uh, 
You were in a place where you're like, you know what, I don't know if, uh, if I belong here. It was so big that you felt so small. Um, I'll never forget the first time I stood on the south rim of the Grand Canyon. I heard it was a pretty big hole. It's a little bigger of a hole than you realize till you get there. I remember taking my, my children, uh, actually just two years ago for the first time, they went to the Grand Canyon. I told them all about it. I told them all about it. I told them all about it. I said, you just got to see it. You just can't, you can't. They're like, yeah, 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 dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've seen lots of stuff because we travel all over. But I'll never forget, they get there and they're just dumbfounded as they stand there just looking at this humongous hole that just goes on forever. Um, uh, it just, all of a sudden, you realize that, you know, we're not that big. We're actually kind of small. I'll never forget when I was a kid, my dad went on and on and on. He wanted to go out west. We're going to go out west. We're, he wanted to go to Yellowstone National Park. He talked about it, talked about it. Finally, we did it. I remember we, uh, we packed up. I was, I was nine years old. We packed up in the old uh, 1979 station wagon. Uh, we only broke down twice on the way out. That's a pretty good trip actually. And uh, anyway, we, we take off all the way out to, to Wyoming. We go to, the, uh, we, we, we go to Yellowstone National Park. Man, those mountains, you could see them off in the distance, you know, and then we're seeing lots of wildlife. Obviously, probably uh, second day in or third day in, I don't know, but um, I obviously didn't appreciate it as much as my dad probably wished I did, but I remember him waking me up in the back seat. I was asleep, and he says, hey, Aaron, look out the window. And I remember, I don't know what back roads we had gone or what, but I remember just looking out, and we had gotten so far up into the Grand Tetons. All I can see is just this rock face. I had to scooch my little face up against the window in order to see the top, and it was just overwhelming. I remember it, it filled me with fear because, I mean, we have some great, we have some, uh, so I grew up in North Carolina, and we have some great little bumps that we uh, call the Appalachian Mountains, and they're great. But folks, in comparison to the Rockies, it's just overwhelming. And I remember just feeling so small. It was, I was fearful. I was like, it's going to crush me. Folks, you know, you, we have those situations and times in life, but I just want you to know, if you, can, if you can take that and multiply it by a million, it's really where we find Isaiah as he stood face to face with the king of kings. And folks, what I want you to understand today is that when a person, when your eyes behold the king, you don't walk away the same. There are some things about God and who He is that we have to reckon with. It's a fearful thing, an overwhelming thing to come face to face with the living God. And I want us to look at Isaiah, and I want us to see, God, there's a few things that, that, that become overwhelmingly clear to us when our eyes behold Him. And I want us to know that today, I don't believe Isaiah actually had a vision of God of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, high and seated upon a throne in the temple. Um, I don't believe that we're going to see God in that way in a vision today. I don't believe that that is how God works today. But I just want you to know something. The way that God has designed and um, really sovereignly planned for us to see him is through his word. And my friends, today I just want you to know we can see him. And my prayer is that this morning we will see him. The king, high and lifted up. Listen, listen to what the text says. Verse number one is very important. It kind of sets the scene for us. But I think in verse number one, um, we really find this. 
we really find in verse number one that um, uh, in, in verse number one that when your eyes behold the king, okay, when a man sees God, when your eyes behold the king, you will be convinced that he is in control. You likewise, though, will be convinced that we're not in control. Folks, it's a good thing that we're not in control. Did you know that? It's a really, really good thing. Okay, so when your eyes behold him, when your eyes see him, you'll be convinced he's in control, but that we're not. Look at verse number one. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, this verse is very important. It sets the scene. It tells us when this was. This was at the time in the year that King Uzziah died. Now, this was at a time in history where they had kings. A king was an absolute monarch. He had absolute power. He, was, um, uh, he would rule till he died. King Uzziah had been king for 50 years. Uh, an absolute monarch has absolute power. You know, we live, in a, we live in, a, in a government, in a country where our government does not have this kind of power. Our power is, is divided. You have the uh, judiciary, the, you have the legislative and the executive branches. And so no one man has this kind of power. A king, if he didn't like the looks of your head, what could he say? He could say, off with your head. And folks, it went rolling. Okay? I'm talking he had absolute power. We have a president who he's in office for four years. We can reelect him, but no one, no one man can be a full power for more than eight years. That's a good thing, okay? That's a good thing in our government. That's not how it was in a monarchy. He was king till he died. Uzziah had been king for 50 years. Isaiah was probably middle-aged. He was not 50 yet, probably still in his 30s. So, so Isaiah, all he had ever known is this one man in power. Folks, um, it was a really big deal. We, we, the, during a transition year, um, this is what we know, that this man had been a good king. Now, he wasn't a great king, but he had been, a, he had been an okay king. He had, he had messed up. He had actually messed up big time, but he had repented. He had humbled himself. He turned to the Lord. It's actually given to us in the historical books of the Bible, that King Uzziah was the one who did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. It was, a, it was a big deal. But let me tell you something, folks. King Uzziah, he's dead. Fifty years he had reigned, but he was dead. Folks, who knew what the next king was going to be like? Was he going to be a good king? Was he going to be a harsh king? Was he going to take their children and make them slaves? Please understand, he could if he wanted to. He could do whatever he wanted to do as an absolute monarch. So can I just tell you what's going on in the year that King Uzziah died? Massive national unrest. Folks, we know what it's like in a transition year in our country in an election year. Um, a few years ago, uh, Trump's first year into off, uh, first um, year into office. That year, they were they were providing in public school systems all around the country. They were they were providing post-election anxiety disorder counseling because it had had such an impact on the students going through an election year. So this is what I'm saying, folks. I mean. Massive, even in our country, okay, unrest in the midst of an election year, okay? But um, 
multiply that by I'm not sure how much. And that's what you have among the people of God when their king had died. Who's the next kind of king going to be like and what's he going to be like? Now, they knew who it was going to be because it was King Uzziah's son because he had been co-reigning with him for 10 years because King Uzziah had been sick. But King Uzziah was still very much in control and his son was just kind of in transition. But just so you know, what they feared most as to what King Uzziah's son would be like, it all came true. He was a horrible king. He totally turned from God. He did horrible, horrible things. Right in the midst of this transition and right in the midst of this national unrest, I want you to understand that God allowed Isaiah to see who's really sitting on the throne. Folks, do you know who actually sits on the throne? Can I comfort you with some words? Did you know that the people in Washington, D.C. are not actually in control? Folks, they are not in control. There is a king who sits on the throne of eternity, and he is in control. And when our eyes behold him, then we don't have to live in anxiety. We do not have to live in worry and fear. We can rest. Folks, we can rest because we have a king who's in control. I love the terminology when it says, when it says that his train filled the temple there in verse number one. A king would, a king would walk around with uh, his palace with this big, huge robe and this big, long train that would come off of his robe. And really what it signified was a long reign. And you remember back in the old days, if you watched an old movie, long live the king was a big deal because a king would live as long as he lived. So long live the king. So he would have a long reign. And so that big train that would come off of his robe as he would parade himself around, around his, the, the, the castle would, would, would signify a long reign. Listen to the, rain, the, to the train that comes off of the king of kings robe. It says, it says in verse 1 that it filled the temple. You know what I believe that means? I believe that it means it filled the temple. I don't know if it just kind of wrapped back and forth and it covered the whole floor space, or I don't know if it started to mount up and his throne was way up high. Folks, the bottom line is there's a point being made. King Uzziah, 50 years, whoop-de-doo. Folks, there is a king who sits on the throne of eternity. Do you see him? Because if you don't, folks, the evening news will rock your world. Folks, if your eyes do not behold the sovereign king who sits on the throne of eternity, election years will rock your world. And it's not even just that, folks. I'm moving it from the from the, the political to just the everyday stuff of life, folks. If our eyes do not behold our king and we don't realize that he's in control, then, folks, you want to know what we tend to do? We tend to try our best to be in control. And so many people right inside of good churches who call themselves the people of God are so rocked with fear and worry and anxiety and struggle. And folks, I, I, I think there can be all kinds of help found in counseling. I think there can be help found in lots of different ways. But folks, can I tell you where help can be found? When your eyes behold your king, you will find that he is in control and that we can rest in him. But then I want you to see as we move into verse number two, when our eyes behold our king, not only do we see that he's in control and we're not, but also we're 
Isaiah found out that, that, his king, that this king is holy. Look at what it says in verse number 2. Above him, so above the king, stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Folks, what does it tell us? In the midst of seeing this overwhelming scene that Isaiah sees of the king high and lifted up with his train filling the temple, it, then, then these, these beings show up called the seraphim. Who are the seraphim? The, 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 the name is seraphim. Really, they're angels. Um, we, best we understand, they seem to be angels that are on fire or angels of fire. Their, their name kind of has to do with fire. Um, they're, they're, they're pretty overwhelming. According to the text, they apparently have, have six wings. Can I just tell you something, folks? I have a feeling that nobody in this room has ever had a face-to-face encounter with one of the seraphim, okay? Um, if, if you did have a face-to-face encounter with one of the seraphim, it probably would, you wouldn't know how to respond. Folks, I mean, they're just overwhelming. I mean, we've never... I've never come into any kind of contact with anything that would even be similar to one of the seraphim. If, if one of them came and visited us this morning and started walking his way down the middle aisle, you know, an angel on fire with six wings, we might get just a wee bit uncomfortable in here. You know what I'm saying? Folks, we would not know how to respond in the presence of one of the seraphim. Listen to the text. The seraphim don't know how to respond in the presence of the king. They can't handle it. With two of their wings, it says they cover their faces. They can't look at him. With two of their wings, they cover their feet, which was a sign of of humility and respect. And with two of their wings, they flew. And all that they said back and forth to one another is that this king is holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And the whole earth was full of his glory. Folks, let me tell you something. The presence of this king is absolutely overwhelming. And there Isaiah stands. When they said that he was holy, 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 what were they saying? The Bible says a lot about God. The Bible tells us that he's full of love, that he's full of mercy, that he's full of grace, that he's all-wise, that he is omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing, omnipresent, everywhere at one time. Folks, the Bible tells us many, many things that we love about our God and admire about our God. But did you know that the Bible, more than it says anything else about God, did you know that the Bible says that God is holy? It must be a big deal. What does the word holy mean? It's a word that just in its simple definition means set apart. It's a word that talks about how that God is so utterly and completely different than us. We tend to try to fathom God based on what we know, 
We, we, we take the best of people, the best of, of character, the best of someone who's loving, the best of someone who seems wise, the best of someone who, who is caring. And we, we, we tend to put together from what we know and have experienced an understanding of what God is. But folks, I'm telling you, you can, you can go as far as you can. You can pull up the best you can possibly grab a hold of, and you'll still come up so, so short because he is so far beyond anything we know. Anything we can wrap our minds around. It is the distinctness of who he is. And a lot of times when we think about holiness, what we, what we think about and, and, and causes us the most struggle about his holiness is the fact that, that it means that he's perfectly pure and so far above and separate from our sin. So we think sometimes in his holiness, it means that he is perfectly pure and perfectly sinless, and all of those are true, plus a whole, whole lot more. Um, understanding His holiness is a really, really, really big deal for us. I mean, the prophet Isaiah, or the prophet Habakkuk in chapter number one said this, God, your eyes are too pure to behold iniquity. Thou canst not look upon it. That's a problem for me, that his eyes are too pure to even look upon sin. It's a problem for me. It's a problem for you. And guess what? It was a problem for Isaiah. And he knew it. Understanding God's holiness. Back years ago, I, I, I love the outdoors. I, I actually am a, am a big uh, outdoorsman, hunting, fishing. Um, I, love, I love to hunt. Uh, when I was a kid, I was just a teenager. Um, I was old enough to drive because I was by myself, I remember, but uh, down in, um, w- my, my dad and I had a, a farm that we hunted on, some people in our church. It was actually a hog farm. They had all these barns full of pigs, um, but then over, they had lots of acreage, and they had um, woods and fields and cornfields and bean fields, and uh, we, would, we would hunt for deer there. And I remember I was, got up early. I was there. I was hunting all morning long. I didn't see a single deer. I get down. I'm walking back across uh, and I kind of actually went away uh, around the field that I normally didn't go, and I was going back to my vehicle, and I came up to this huge hole. It was a deep hole. The closer I got to it, the deeper I realized it was because I couldn't see the bottom until I get right up to it. And I looked straight down. What do you think I saw on the bottom of that hole? I saw about 20, I'd say, 20, maybe even 25, I don't know, dead, rotten pigs. It's where they put pigs from the, from the pig barns. And they were, like, some of them had been butchered, but then there's, like, whole pigs. I don't know if there was, like, a sickness. I don't know what was going on. But, folks, it was this big dugout hole. It was super deep, and they are in there, and it was bad. Folks, I had to take a double take because I, I, it looked like a wave of motion, and they were completely dead. It was, it was just a wave of motion. It was the flies and the worms and the maggots just devour. Sorry, ladies. I see some of you kind of, uh, you know. Um, it was bad. And you know what? The, for the whole time as I walked up to it, I never smelled it, not one time. I don't know, the wind was kind of blowing it away. I saw it, and I got a full whiff of it all at the same time. And, folks, it was bad. It was a problem. Man, I had to get away from that hole. I got away from that hole as fast as I could. I'm not going back to that hole. I hated what was in that hole. Listen up. I'm not going to let that, I'm not going to let that stay in my presence. I'm sorry. Can I please tell you something about God and His holiness? Sin cannot dwell in his presence because he is holy. 
And this is a problem for me and for you and for poor Isaiah as he stands in the presence of this king. All of a sudden in this vision, a little worse, I mean, there's, there's an earthquake. Look at what it says, verse 4. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Folks, I mean, this vision that he has, he sees the king, his train fills the temple, the seraphim are crying out that he's holy, and the whole earth is full of his glory. There's this earthquake, the house fills with smoke. Folks, this was overwhelming. And then Isaiah speaks. My friend, when your eyes view the king, when you see who he is, you'll know he's in control, you'll know he's holy, but please understand me, when you really understand who he is, you will understand that we are not holy. Look at what Isaiah says in verse number five. And I said, woe is me, for I am undone. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And he said all this because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Folks, what does Isaiah say? Isaiah sees this king, and he sees the seraphim. He sees the earthquake and the smoke, and he understands that he's in trouble. When he says, woe is me, what does it mean? What is a woe, woe? We find the prophets announcing woe unto you false prophets. We see Jesus Christ announcing woe unto you Pharisees. You're like whitewashed sepulchers. You're nice and pretty on the outside, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. Woe to you, Jesus said. Folks, what is a woe? It's, a, it's an announcement. It's not a pronouncement of a curse. It is an announcement of a person's condemnation. You stand condemned, Jesus was saying to the Pharisees. You stand condemned, the prophets would say to the false prophets. Folks, listen to what Isaiah, now let me, let me tell you who Isaiah is. Isaiah was a good man. Isaiah was a, 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 a highly educated, br- brilliant man. You can, you can look at the writing of, Isaiah, of the book of Isaiah. He is, he is a phenomenal writer. He is a highly educated man. Most believe that he was wealthy and from a leading family, it seems to be. The man was a good man. High standing in society, highly educated, brilliant. A person who would have naturally said, well, hey, I'm a pretty good old guy. But listen what happens to Isaiah when he stands before this king. He says, woe is me. He says, I stand condemned. Folks, can I please help you to understand? I don't know who's here today. But if in the midst of your life, you tend to justify saying, hey, man, I'm not like him. Man, I'm not like her. I'm not like those people. I'm pretty good. You just hadn't compared yourself to the right person. When you see yourself in light of the king of kings, I promise you, you will understand that we are not holy. And we stand condemned. 
Isaiah says, for I am undone. What does the word undone mean? It's uh, maybe, you're, maybe you're, your Bible says, for I am lost. It's actually a word we find it translated several times in the Old Testament. It's actually a word many times it, it means it's talking about destruction or to be destroyed. I personally think Isaiah is fully saying I'm getting, I'm, I'm, I think he had full anticipation that he wasn't going to make it past the scene. That he's, unholiness is standing in the presence of the holy God and Isaiah knows it. He said, I stand condemned. I'm come undone. I'm, I'm, I'm lost. It's over. And then he tells us why. He says, because I'm unclean. I'm a man who's unclean. I'm, 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 I'm of unclean lips. Um, the words that come out of my mouth, are they, they come out of my heart, and my heart is unclean. We think about the terminology of unclean. You think about the lepers in the Old Testament. Because of their leprosy, they had to live in the leper colonies. They had to come away from people because they were so contagious. They, would, they were so contaminating. They had to stay away from people. They had to leave their family. They had to, to go to these leper colonies and live. If for some reason they did have to come into the general population and be around people, they would have to cover themselves with these bandages that communicated who they were, and then they had to yell out as they would go through the streets, I'm unclean! I'm unclean! As moms would gather their children and pull them away from someone who was unclean. When you think about ceremonially, and you think about anybody, if they were going to come and present their sacrifices to the Lord, they could not do so if they were unclean. Folks, all of a sudden, do you understand if the high priest on the Day of Atonement were to go into the holiest of holies to present the blood of the atonement sacrifice to be placed upon the mercy seat, if he himself was unclean, he would be struck dead. Uncleanness cannot stand in the presence of this king. And yet Isaiah is standing in the presence of the king and he says, I'm unclean. He's in trouble because this king is holy. I want you to see what happens next, folks. Can I just tell you, it is absolute worst case scenario for our friend Isaiah. Look at the first phrase of verse number six. Then one of the seraphim flew to me. Now just stop right there. What do you think's going through his mind now? Angel on fire, six wings coming right at him. He's already said, I'm condemned. I stand condemned. I, I'm, I'm, I'm to be destroyed because I'm unclean, because my eyes have seen the king. That's what he said in verse 5. And then here comes this angel on fire, six wings flying right at him. What do you think's going through his mind now? Hasta la vista, you know. Here we go. This is it. But folks, listen what happens. Don't miss it. Folks, don't miss it, what happens in verse number 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Folks, what just happened? Isaiah, good man that he was, educated, perhaps wealthy, 
high in society, respected, brilliant, good and religious. He stands before the king of kings and he realizes that he's toast. He stands before the king and he realizes that he's nothing. He stands before the king and he realizes overwhelmingly so that he deserves to be destroyed. And here comes this angel of fire, and instead of destroying him, he takes a a coal from off the altar, and he touches it to Isaiah's mouth, and he says, Isaiah, your sins, all of them, they are gone. Now, folks, what just happened? How is this? How is it that Isaiah is not destroyed? He expected to be destroyed. I mean, here we have the very thing we say can't happen. We have unholiness. Isaiah standing in the presence of the holy king. Habakkuk said that you cannot look upon it. The whole testament tells us that Isaiah must be destroyed. He's unclean in the presence of God. How is he not destroyed? Folks, I mean, what's the options? I mean, maybe, hey, how about this? Maybe this God isn't as holy as we thought he was. No, folks, he's as holy as we think he is. He's as holy as the Bible tells us he is. Let me tell you what happens. It's the beautiful. We sang about it multiple times this morning. We sang about what just happened. It's called the gospel. Can I tell you what happens? This king, this holy king, this overwhelming king who the seraphim cannot even look upon, this unbelievably overwhelming, the whole earth is full of his glory king. You know what he does? He comes off of this throne. And he comes down to this earth to do for Isaiah what he couldn't do for himself. He came to do for me what I couldn't do for myself. Folks, this king, do you want to know who this king is? You fast forward to the New Testament. Let's let's find out who this king is according to the, the gospel of John in the New Testament. As John is writing about Jesus Christ, John says, this is who Isaiah saw in Isaiah 6. Folks, who is this king? This is none other than Jesus Christ himself that Isaiah encounters. In Isaiah chapter 6. And this king comes off of his throne. This king comes down to this earth. To do for Isaiah, to do for me, to do for you what we can't do for ourselves. He came to take our sin. He came to live the life we were supposed to live, but we haven't. He came to take our sin and die the death we deserve to die in our place. And he came to rise triumphant over death and over sin and over hell so that people like Isaiah and people like me and people like you could have our sins taken away. My friend, have you ever realized that this king, this Jesus, came to die for you? My friend, have you ever been saved? Have you ever turned to Christ? Isaiah's response is a significant response. Have you ever seen the king in his glory, seen the king in his holiness, and you came to the place where in repentance you said, woe is me, I stand condemned. Woe is me, 
I deserve to be destroyed. Woe is me. I'm unclean. My friend, if you've never come to the place where you've turned to Christ, it's because you've never seen how holy he is. You've never, your eyes have never beheld this king. My friend, would you turn to him today? Would you be saved? Would you place your faith, your confidence in him and in him alone? Jesus Christ did for you what you are unable to do for yourself, what no one is able to do for you. Only Christ can do this for you. My friend, turn to Christ and be saved. This passage of Scripture, though, and my plans for this, are really going to find their resolution in the next verse. Because I believe there is something that I want us to see here for those of us who are saved, who are believers. Look at what it says in verse number 8. All of a sudden, Isaiah finds himself in the midst of a pretty holy conversation, a divine conversation. Listen to what it says. Verse 8, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Isaiah speaks up and says, Here am I, send me. Now, let me just tell you what happens here. Isaiah has this overwhelming experience where he sees this, the king high lifted up, the seraphim, the smoke, the earthquake, overwhelmed by the reality of his own sinfulness. He declares the truth of the state of his heart and his soul that I, I stand condemned. I, I'm going to be destroyed, and it's because I'm unclean. But instead of being destroyed, this angel comes with this coal from the fire, and really what has happened is, is, is what is put to the account of Isaiah is really what we have as the gospel of Jesus Christ justification. His, his sins and forgiveness are taken away. He now has the righteousness of, of Christ put to his account. He's saved. He's, he's, he's rescued. He's delivered. But then what happens next is so important. This is so kind of God to really condescend in a way to where Isaiah gets to see what happens next. And let me tell you something. It's also really kind of God to have it recorded so that me and you can see what happens next. Because, folks, this is really, really interesting. What happens in the life of a person who realized that they should be destroyed, but instead they're rescued? All of a sudden, as the smoke settles in the vision... Isaiah finds himself here, instead of being now unclean, now he's been made righteous. All of a sudden, instead of being someone who deserved to be destroyed, he all of a sudden is someone who realizes, hey, I, I think I'm supposed to be here. And then there's this conversation, an interesting conversation. God, the, the, the king speaks up and he says, who are we going to send? Who is going to go for us? Now, the plurals there, the who are we going to send and who's going to go for us, you know, is, is I don't think God is talking to Isaiah. I don't think God is speaking, um, seeking counsel from the seraphim. I believe what we have here is a conversation that Isaiah now is listening in on, really in, inside of the Godhead, God the Father, 
God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Inside of the Godhead, we find this conversation taking place. And the king is saying, who are we going to send? Now, very, this is why I think it's so kind of the Lord to give this to us, because he really is bringing Isaiah to a place where he actually has the opportunity to surrender himself. This isn't God wringing his hands going, what are we going to do? I don't know what's going to happen. Who are we going to send? We're kind of out of choices here. No, 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 no. This isn't God wondering what he's going to do. It's just a kind gift to Isaiah to get to hear inside of the Godhead this question. Who are we going to send and who's going to go for us? And I want you to listen to the heart of a man who understands that he's been rescued from destruction. Because, folks, this should be the heart of every person who's been rescued from destruction. If you can sensationalize just a little bit, it's almost like Isaiah's looking around the room. Maybe there's a few crickets chirping. There's nobody else there but him. He doesn't even know what he's signing up for because it doesn't matter. All Isaiah knows is that he should have just been destroyed, but instead he was rescued. And the king says, who are we going to send? Who's going to go for us? And Isaiah's like, I mean, I'll do it. I'll do anything. I should have just been destroyed. Instead, I've been rescued. You name it, I'll do it. Folks, Isaiah doesn't even know what he's signing up for. He's getting ready to find out. But here's the bottom line. People who've been rescued by the king of kings are willing to live their life for this king because they know he's worthy. They know he's worthy. And folks, I've heard this passage used at a missions conference. I've heard it used in different ways. And sure, maybe on a vocational side, um, man, maybe, maybe God would use this to vocationally put somebody headed in a different direction. Sure, surrender. I mean, this was a definite vocation change for this man. I believe this was really his calling into the life of a prophet. Of a prophet. And I believe this was him recalling God doing this in his life. Um, uh, but... but, but this is, um, it, it, it's beyond just a vocational. That's very narrow, and maybe that touches someone here, but that's very narrow. This is just in general, in a life of submission and obedience. God, you're worthy. I, I stood condemned. I deserve to be destroyed because I'm unclean, and you rescued me on the day I was saved. I don't know about you folks. I was saved when I was 21 years old. I was going to a state school, and I was saved, and God rescued me. And I had lived long enough to see how destructive the path of my sin was taking me. And folks, God God convinced me that I was unclean. And He rescued me. But that same rescue that took place in my life at 21 that was very clear turnaround. I don't know. I mean, we could probably do a raise of hands. We won't. But, I mean, there's some of you in this room who you were saved past 16, 17, 18, 19, on up older. And you saw what God did to your life. Others may be saved younger. You don't feel it like at seven when you're saved. It's not like you were out in all this sin. And so sometimes at eight, seven, eight, nine, ten, you don't see this huge turnaround in your life. But I'm telling you, the same miracle that took place in Isaiah's life took place in your life. I don't care if you were five 
or six or seven. Folks, we need to realize where we were and where we were going and now what has happened to us and the response of the heart should be, God, I'll obey you. I'll do whatever. And I'm not just talking vocationally. God, you want me to get up and spend time with you in the morning? I'll obey. God, you want me to open my mouth and share the gospel with a coworker? I'll obey. God, you, 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 you want me to turn it off? When it comes up on the screen and I know it's filthy, I'll obey God because you're worth it. It's just surrender of the heart, and it happens all the time. Folks, we know this. We know that he's worthy. We know that he's worthy. Why is it so hard for us? Because it is. Folks, it's hard. In the midst of life, in the midst of kind of just wanting to be my own king. I don't want to rule the world. I just want to rule my world. So many times, I don't want to submit myself to him. I want to be the king that sits on the throne. I want my train to fill the temple. My son, one last little story and I'm done. My son, um, when he was, uh, I don't know, probably four or five years old, I uh, took him on a, on a breakfast, on a little daddy date for breakfast. We went to, went to McDonald's. I was always a big spender. Anyway, we're at McDonald's, and i grabbing some uh, little daddy date breakfast. And um, on the way back, he jumps in the back seat of the car, and he said, Hey, Dad, can I, watch a, can I turn on a cartoon? I said, Sure, buddy. He had a little strap to the back of the seat, little DVD player. He's, uh, he turns it on, and he's watching Tom and Jerry in the back seat. Um, as we pull into the church parking lot of the church we were at that week, um, uh, that episode was ending and another episode was, was coming on. He said, hey, Dad, can we watch one more? I said, yeah, buddy. I said, I'll get back there and watch it with you. And I jumped in the back seat and I'm sitting beside my son. Classic episode of Tom and Jerry. Had the bulldog. Remember the bulldog? All right. So the, the, the scene opens up and the bulldog has just gotten caught by the dog catcher and thrown into the dog catcher truck. The door slams behind him. Man, it's, it's like a jail cell. You know, he's got bars and he's looking through it. And then here comes the, here comes the mouse, little Jerry. Jerry's come along and he says, hey, little buddy. Hey, man, would you get me out of here? Man, I'll do anything. Would you get me out of here? Man, Jerry jumps up there. He pops the lock. The door swings open as the truck, as the truck drives off. The bulldog jumps out and he picks up little Jerry and he looks at Jerry, the little mouse. He says, I'll do anything for you. Do you know what didn't happen? My five-year-old didn't look at me and say, huh, that's weird, Dad. Why would the big bulldog tell the mouse he'll do anything for him? Folks, it made sense to my five-year-old in a kid's cartoon that if somebody rescues you, you do anything for them because you love them and you know they're worthy. My friend, we know he's worthy. May we obey him. May we serve him with all of our might for all of our days because he's worthy. You know, this is what I would like to do. I would love for us, I just love to respond. I know when I hear preaching, I just want a minute to talk to the Lord, thank him, confess sin. I do, I mean, it's just what I, I love to do. And I think it'd be great 
if we just take a minute, just a minute, I'm going to have my wife come to the piano, and I'm just going to have her play through one, the, uh, a song. And can we just turn this room into a room of prayer? In this room, maybe you need to say, God, I'm not living for you. Will you forgive me? God, I, 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 I so want to be king. I don't submit myself to you. God, I know that I, I need to live for you. I need to love you because you're worthy. Hey, maybe you're here and you've never seen that you're a sinner. Maybe you've never seen that God is holy. Maybe you've never understood that God made a way for you to be saved, just like Isaiah. My friend, if you're here without Christ, would you respond? You could turn to Christ where you are. We'd help you. If you wanted to meet me at the front, step to the back, or come talk to us after the service. Come talk to me, Pastor Greg. There's many people in this room who would love to help you if you're here without Christ. Please be saved. Turn to Christ and be saved. My friend, can we pray? Can we just take a moment with our heads bowed and our eyes closed? Can we just pray? Can we respond?